So I think this is the first time I've had an opportunity to preach this year. So is everybody's 2021 going pretty good so far? We're halfway through? Yeah? Better than last year, right? So for me, for this year, it's kind of like a transition year in a lot of ways. Um, I turned 40 in April. Um, still wrapping my head around that. You know, people who are, you know, a little older than me or a lot older than me have told me, like, hey, when you hit 40, like, it's different. Things change, your body, your metabolism slows down, and things change. And I was like, yeah, whatever, that's not going to happen to me. And uh, the first time I weighed myself after I turned 40, I tipped the scale over 250. I was like, oh, well, this, is a, this is a problem. And my wife agreed with me, so I'm working on remedying that. But things do change. If you're younger than me, things do change after you hit 40. Um, my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary in May, so, which is awesome. Um, she still likes me. She tells me that all the time. So, um, oh, I, it's, it's awesome. She's amazing. Um, probably the scariest thing for me for this year that's a transition for me is my oldest daughter, Emery, is turning 18. And, man, it's like, it's just hard because it's like I can tell her what to do. I provide her. I do all these things for her, and then she's going to grow up, and then I can tell her. I can make suggestions, but I can't, like, tell her, like, hey, this is how you're supposed to, to do things, how you're supposed to live your life. But that's hard. Um, but it's part of life. It's part of the process that, of growing and everything. And, and for her graduation uh, trip, we took her to Yellowstone. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to Yellowstone. Absolutely epic. Like, that's one of those places where you go and you look around and God's like, I'm going to show my glory right here. Just the waterfalls and the animals. And we got to see um, all the animals. We really like to see bison, grizzly bears. I took a selfie with a grizzly bear like 60 yards away from me. Um, probably not a wise decision, but there was like a lot of people there. So hopefully the bear just wouldn't come after me when I had my back turned. Um, and my brother-in-law, um, a couple of days later, sent me a video of a bear, a grizzly bear, a mama bear in Yellowstone charging somebody. And I was like, huh, that bear kind of looks familiar. And it was, it was a mama bear with um, cubs. She had two cubs with her. And the selfie I got was with one of the cubs in the background. And it was about three quarters the size of the mom. But he sends me this video, and there's the mom. And, there, and one of the cubs was this, like beautiful cinnamon-colored bear. And I was like, man, that's a beautiful bear. And there it was in the video. And I looked at the date and when that happened, and it happened like maybe an hour or two before I got there to take my selfie. So, you know, luckily there wasn't a uh, pine top man gets mauled by a bear in Yellowstone. Um, so, and I think one of the, my favorite parts of Yellowstone, the mountains. They're just beautiful. They had these like gorgeous valleys with rivers running through them and then they just, just epic mountains. And I'm a, I'm a mountain guy despite my build. I really enjoy hiking and climbing mountains. I tried Attempted to climb Mount Rainier back in 2012. I got to about 13,000 feet and could not breathe, so I did not continue going on. But the views up there were just beautiful. And there was one day where um, usually there's clouds up around that mountain because of the ocean. It's not far from um, Seattle. And, and you can't really see too far because the clouds are like right, they were right below our camp where we were camping at, uh, I think it was like 12,400 feet. And one day the wind just blew the clouds away and you could just see for miles and just see, you could almost see the ocean. It was absolutely breathtaking. And whenever I see a mountain, if I'm driving somewhere or watching a movie or whatever, I'm like, I wonder what it looks like on top of that mountain. And sometimes we have those mountain, mountaintop experiences in life, right? 
and get married, have kids, graduate, or when God does something like super cool in her life. I've had those experiences where God, those mountaintop experiences where God just showed me who he was or changed the way I view myself or the world. Um, Andrew Stanley joked around about short-term mission trips and how kids take selfies all the time. I went on a short-term mission trip that changed my life. Um, this was in 1997, so there were no selfies yet, um, or I probably would have taken some. But I traveled to Russia in 97, it was, and that was less than a decade after communism had fell in that country. And growing up here, I was just like, man, like other countries are like, it's like America, but maybe people are just a little grumpier, I don't know. But man, I get there, and we helped out at these camps for, um, for homeless kids. And some of these camps were designed, like when communism was in power, the um, government would send all the kids to these summer camps. And some of the lower income families, and just for reasons that I can't even understand, they would kick their kids out of the house in the summertime and then welcome them back in the fall. And there's kids like living in the sewers, living on the streets, and we would go around with this uh, Christian group that would take these kids to these camps that they got permission to use, and we would play soccer with them, we'd do Bible studies with them, we'd do crafts with them, and, you know, and seeing that just like changed my view of the world. Like, man, like there's something bigger than all this stuff that, that I previously had thought was super important. Um, I saw some trippy stuff when I was there. Um, the Russian mafia had like a big presence in this area that we were staying in. And we were going to get on uh, the subway, which the subways are gnarly in Russia because they use them as bomb shelters too that they built during the Cold War. So they're deep. It's, it's crazy. And while we were going to get on the subway, we saw this guy just getting beat down by these two other guys with his batons. And people were screaming and we're all like, what the heck? And our guides, the guys, the people that were with us, like, you guys need to stay away from all that. And these two police officers like run up and to break it up, some other guy with a suit on walks over, says something to the two police officers, and the officers turn around and walk away. It's like, man, like this is how it happens in the rest of the world. And just through that time there, I got to, it, God just like totally changed my perspective of the world. He totally changed how I viewed life and how I viewed how things should be versus how things really were for people. And that was a mountaintop experience for me because of changing my perspective. Probably another one of those uh, more recent times that happened with me is uh, um, Pastor Danny, um, who unfortunately passed away from COVID last year. He would come up with his crew and he'd pray with us. And the last time he prayed over me was a time when I was preaching. And he prayed over me scriptures that I was preaching about and he had no idea what I was talking about. And that was one of those moments for me. I was like, man, like God, thank you because... It's nerve-wracking coming up here. You know, have any of you guys had just an awesome experience with God, like a mountaintop experience? You're like, Lord, this is awesome. Like, don't, I want to stay here. I want to live here. Have you guys ever had experiences like that, maybe when you first came to Christ? That's awesome. So today we're going to talk about some people who have had those experiences. We're also going to talk about a guy whose doubt was bigger than his faith. Anybody ever had things going on in life where they doubted more than their faith? It's okay to admit it here. I have. I'm raising my hand high. How about a time in your life when you weren't sure about this whole Jesus thing and you were just kind of checking things out? We've been there? Or a time when you th- something you thought for sure was going to work out. You thought for sure it was going to be a success and it didn't work out at all. 
We're going to talk about some people that dealt with that today. And you ever been in a situation or had a time in your life where you felt like you had zero control and that your whole life was just being dictated by someone else? Ever been there? So today we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And there were three disciples who came with Jesus, had this crazy, literally on a mountaintop, had this crazy mountaintop experience with Jesus. There was a crowd of people who were all worked up looking for a show when they should have been looking for a savior. There were hostile scribes, the religious elite of the time, that knew the Old Testament but did not, could not grasp what Jesus was there to do. There was a demon-possessed boy Nine disciples who felt like failures and a desperate father who made what I think is one of the most honest and powerful prayers in the entire Bible. And it was only five words. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for my family who's joined me in church today, Lord, my family who's watching online. And Lord, I pray you just, uh, just speak to our hearts, Lord. Lord, things in our, in our lives, Lord, that we've been holding back where we have doubts or fears. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and just show us that you're with us no matter what, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, the mountaintop. So Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. They're kind of like Jesus' main guys, kind of his inner circle that he took with him everywhere. And when you read the Bible, it's easy to kind of look at those guys and be like, oh, like Jesus brought those guys with them because they were humbler than the rest and, you know, they had better knowledge of the scriptures and just better leaders. But you read the scriptures and some of the things that Peter, James, and John did and said, like, I kind of feel like maybe they were the biggest troublemakers out of all the disciples and that Jesus, they just sometimes could not be trusted to be with the rest of the disciples without Jesus with them. Like, I know, like, we look at art and, like, old artwork and stuff, and it shows them, and they've got, like, the halos and stuff, and I don't, I don't know if there are any halos. So, James and John were brothers. Um, apparently, they had some attitude problems. They were pretty feisty, and Jesus nicknamed them uh, the Sons of Thunder, um, I don't think that was a very endearing name for them. Um, one of the things that they did was, um, gee, they were traveling and they went to a Samaritan town and they wanted to stay in the Samaritan town. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they were, were not friends at that time. And the Samaritan town was like, no, nah, we don't want you guys staying here. And they basically kicked them out. So as they were leaving, in town, leaving the town, James and John were like, asked Jesus, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume those guys? Sons of Thunder, right? And it says, in, uh, it says Jesus rebuked them. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, you guys are so silly. Don't say that again. Like, I don't think so. I think the rebuke was more like, how about I call fire down on you two? Because you guys are completely missing everything I'm trying to accomplish. Another time, um, apparently they were really close to their mom. And their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, when you come into your kingdom, like, can my sons be on your right hand and your left? Like, they're highly qualified. Like, they've got a, a background in fishing. And they were homeschooled by me. 
So they're highly qualified for anything that you would have them do. You know, so maybe some of that thunder that they had, they, they learned from their mom. But over time, as they learned from Jesus and spent time with Jesus, they, they figured things out. And it turns out that eventually, um, after Jesus had died and risen again and gone to heaven, James was the first disciple to die for his faith. And John was the last. And once they figured out who Jesus truly was and what he was to do and what Jesus was calling them to do, they told everybody they could about him. Peter, which I'm sure we've all heard a lot about, he was probably the oldest disciple, um, and he set himself up as like second in command. And Jesus confirmed that, like when he, he told Peter, like, on, you're the rock, like, I'm, I'm going to build my church with you. And in the book of Acts, and after Jesus was gone, like, he proved that. But he had a big mouth. He was the first to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God. But then he also rebuked Jesus when Jesus was like, I'm going to go and die, and be crucified and die for everybody's sins. Peter's like, nope, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. So go from being like, I'm building my church on you to get behind me, Satan. Peter was probably just up and down, up and down, up and down. And when the, um, the soldiers and the temple guards came to arrest Jesus before he was crucified, Peter pulled out a sword, thinking he could take on all these guys by himself, took a swing at somebody, and cut, only cut off a guy's ear, which I'm trying to imagine, like, swinging at somebody with a sword or something, like, like only getting an ear. Like, awful aim, had no idea what he was doing. Like, I worked in an emergency room for a long time, and I've seen people hit with a sword and machetes and stuff, uh, machetes more so, and, like, they never just got an ear or, like, one part of the body. Like, it's not, so I don't know. But just a few hours after he decided he was going to take these guys on with a sword, he wouldn't even admit to a little girl that he knew Jesus. Just up, down, just all, he was just all over the place. But eventually, he figured everything out as well and died for his faith. And he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus did. I think Peter, James, and John are pretty good proof that there are no lost causes in the eyes of Christ. Amen. So I'm going to get into Mark 9, verses 2 through 4. And Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. So imagine, imagine that. Peter's putting his foot in his mouth. James and John are getting fired up about everything. They go with Jesus up this mountain. Jesus starts to literally glow. And Moses and Elijah, the two most prominent people in the faith of Judaism and, the, and in their history, show up and start talking to Jesus. Talk about an experience. Talk about a place that, like, man, if I was there, like, I'd want to stay there forever. And Peter opened his mouth, and he said, hey, this is a good thing we got going on here. How about we put some tents up for you, guys, for you three, and we'll stay here a while. 
and Peter spoke because he was scared and didn't know what to do instead of just kicking and just instead of just listening to what they had to say. Like I would love to know what Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talked about. And Peter, scripture shows that it wasn't too keen on Jesus going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. So maybe Peter thought if he could get Jesus to stay on this mountaintop and Peter could stay with him, then maybe he could avoid all those things. But God had other plans for Jesus and Jesus had no intention of skipping out on that. If we jump to verses seven and eight, it says, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So God speaks out of a cloud and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now God has spoken out of the sky once before when, right, but when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And right after that, God sent Jesus to be tempted for 40 days. And let's be clear, that temptation for 40 days would have broken all of us. Like Jesus was the only one that could have ever withstood that temptation. This time, God spoke that to Jesus to affirm him. Jesus was still man. He was still flesh. And dad said, this is my boy. Jesus needed to hear that because that, he was going to start that path and start making his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. You know, and we have these mountain-type experiences like that, and it's hard to leave. Some Christians try to stay on or to get to those mountaintop experiences. I grew up in a pretty Pentecostal background, and a lot of it was we need to get back up on the mountaintop. We need to feel that. We need to, we need to get there. And it was so much of the focus. And I remember being younger, and they're like, hey, Brian, like, you feeling this? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not there. I'm sorry. And they were just shame involved, but they just wanted, that's where they wanted to live. But, you know, God wants us to send it, give us those mountaintop experiences, and then he sends us down to the valleys, down to the deserts to help other people. And I think the mountaintop experiences we have with God help us feel who we worship. But learning to seek God in all the struggles and realities of this life is how we truly find him. God uses those mountaintop experiences to give us strength when we move into trials, when we move into hardship, when we move into pain. And Peter, James, and John, like, there's no doubt in my mind that they remembered that mountaintop experience when they saw Jesus die on the cross, when they struggled building the church, when um, they were being attacked for their faith. So after that was the transfiguration and Moses and Elijah disappeared, Jesus led them down off the mountain and were looking to go find the other disciples. And when they found him, they rolled up on this like crazy scene where just there's a crowd and people are arguing and fighting and a, a father who's just broken and a kid who's demon-possessed. And I have a feeling that Peter, James, and John may have looked over their shoulder back towards those mountains and be like, and we need to get back there. But Jesus was going to use the strength that he gained to reveal himself to these people 
and encourage them, to teach them, and to heal them. If we look at verse 14, it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So let's look at the groups of people here. So there's the crowd, a large one. So it was obviously known that Jesus' disciples were in the area. People probably thought that Jesus was there as well. And some, maybe not all of them, but maybe some of them probably wanted to go because they wanted to see a show, right? They wanted to see, they heard about what things that Jesus did, and they're like, oh, I want to see what, what he's going to do. I want to see heal somebody. Maybe I can see something cool. Grab some camp chairs, some snacks, a cooler, and just to kind of hang out and check things out. And then when people heard that the, the father of the demon-possessed boy was bringing him to, to the disciples, that probably gathered even more people. There's no doubt that people knew who this kid was and knew who the father was and wanted to see if Jesus could do what he said he was going to do, what he said, what he had done in the past. But they remained on the sidelines as, as observers, willing to check things out, but were not ready to follow Jesus yet. And when the, de- when the disciples were unable to cast the demon out, I'm sure some of the people heckled them. They called for Jesus, and that maybe they called for Jesus to come and try to cast out the demon. Maybe even they left. Others who were there, the scribes, they smelt blood in the water and went on the attack. The scribes saw Jesus as a threat. They had power, they had authority, and what they, they knew the, script, the Old Testament, but they failed to recognize who Jesus was in all the prophecies of the Old Testament. So they attacked the disciples told them that he, they were fake, that Jesus was a fake, maybe even and tried to incite the crowd to stone them for heresy. But what they didn't do was try to cast out the demon themselves. In Jewish history and from Josephus, one of the historians of that time, like it's not unheard of for Jewish religious, religious leaders to cast demons out. But they didn't try to do that for the greater good of the kid. They just went on the attack to make Jesus' disciples look bad. I think pride got in their way of seeking the truth and recognizing the good things that Jesus and his disciples were doing and failed to recognize who Jesus truly was. Now imagine the disciples. They had witnessed Jesus casting out demons, healing people. Jesus had even told them, like, I give you power over the demons. I give you power over unclean spirits. So they probably rolled in. They saw the kid. They're like, right on. Let's do this. And... I think what they did is they leaned on their own power, their own strength. And instead of fully relying on God for everything, even something, for something that, that has they've already done possibly, they looked to themselves and their own pride. Oh, Jesus is going to be so proud of us when he gets back. But instead, instead not only were they shamed for not being able to cast the demon out, the scribes came and kicked them while they were down. And then when they saw Jesus come, they were probably like, oh no. And it may, you know, maybe those times when we are disappointed with ourselves 
it's because we relied on ourselves too much. We failed to be like, God, I'm nothing without you. I give this to you. I give even things we can control. I, Lord, I give this to you because you gave me the ability to handle it on my own, but I still give this to you. And then there's the Father. We'll go to verse, verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, they're talking about Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And then when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. I couldn't imagine being in this father's shoes. You know, as a father, we're supposed to protect and watch over our kids. And there was things going on, especially during that time, that the father really didn't understand and he couldn't take a nap, go to work, sleep without worrying about his son either getting hurt or even getting killed. He'd probably done, gone to the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests in the past, tried to find some way of healing for his son and wasn't able to do it. He probably heard about Jesus. He'd heard about some of the things the disciples had done and it's like, man, I can't. This is it. This is going to happen. He had, he had a little bit of faith. Just showing up showed that he had a little bit of faith. And it didn't happen with the disciples. But instead of walking away with shame, he stuck, he stuck around. He waited. And then Jesus got there. And he's like, Jesus, this is what's going on with my son. And I think I would have done the same thing if it was one of my kids. And he looked at Jesus and he said, if you can... You know, asking Jesus if he can do, if he can do something, like Jesus is God, like, of course he can. It's like asking a doctor if he can put on a Band-Aid or a mechanic if they can change a tire. Or a comedian if he can tell a joke. Or a mom if she can dry a tear. Like, Jesus can do anything. And unlike what we often do to ourselves when we doubt, Jesus didn't condemn this man. He encouraged him. He instructed him. He probably smiled at him and said, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then the man just, something for us to remember, like every time we doubt or we're afraid or we're going through stuff, and we're trying to figure it out on our own power, like, Lord, this is bigger than me. I believe. Help my unbelief. Our doubt can outweigh our faith. But there's no condemnation from that. Jesus loves us too much to condemn us for not, for having not having enough faith and gives us the ability to ask for more and he's faithful to give us more. 
So what is it for you? For me, is I've battled depression most of my life. And I struggle trusting God with who my identity is in him. I'm more concerned about what I think of me than what God says of me. I struggle just believing those promises. You know, maybe it's something from our past that we can't give to God. It's our present sins or struggles or addictions that we're just like, man, like, like God, I know you want to set me free from this, but I can't. I don't believe it. It's too good to be true. Maybe it's anxiety about our future, those things that we can't control, but they consume our minds. Things that we wish for, that we hope for, and we're just afraid it'll never happen. Or maybe like this, the boy that was demon-possessed, he didn't know a life without fear, pain, shame. And just God like wants to set you free from that. Jesus came down off that mountain and revealed himself to that crowd. He silenced the scribes. He increased the faith of the Father, healed the boy, and instructed the disciples. Later on, the disciples asked Jesus, like, why couldn't we heal this, cast this demon out and help, help this boy? And Jesus said that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, prayer doesn't make us more worthy to cast out demons, but it aligns us with God's work. It aligns our heart with his heart. It makes us humble. It makes us say, Lord, I'm nothing without you. Like everything I have is because of you. It makes us those, our pride and our, our money and our knowledge for what we have for today it makes us not rely on those things. Like there's nothing wrong with using those things, but man, use those things and pray your heart about, out about things. Don't try to take it upon yourself to help to fix things or fix yourself. We are totally dependent on him for everything. And prayer brings us to that place. And maybe prayer and that total dependence of God is the remedy for many of the spiritual things that we battle. And the Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to the mountains to pray. He was the son of God, so he was in communion and speaking to God all the time. But he went to pray. Like, that means we should be praying a lot. And I talked about those mountaintop experiences that we've had. Like praying helps us bring those mountains with us. It reminds us of those awesome things that God did in our life in the past. And the things that he's healed and reminds us of the faith of our friends and our family members who have increased our faith. So while the worship team is singing this last song, I just want you to think about those times where God has intervened in your life. Or maybe a time when you're doing something that maybe wasn't too smart and you should have died, but you're still here. Think about that. Thank God for that. And after that, let's think about things where we are lacking trust in God, where we have a little bit of faith. We know, God, I, want, I know you want this for me, but I'm struggling 
to believe it and just say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, for just loving us no matter what and caring about just the details of our lives, Lord. And Lord, today just we surrender our lives to you, Lord. And these things that we try to push away, but yet we hold on to so close because it's, you want to, it's too good to be true, Lord, to, for us in our own minds, for it to happen, Lord. We just give those things to you right now, Father God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.